There was this uh, preacher who loved to play golf, and uh, so on a beautiful spring morning, uh, he decided that uh, he was going to skip church and go play golf, so he called off sick. And so um, as he traveled to a community out distance from his, from his own community, he was there teeing off, and uh, on the first hole was a 475-yard tee. I guess that's a long way. But uh, anyhow, he teed off, hit the ball, and it just took off. The wind caught it and took it the 475 yards and bounced on the green and rolled up to the pin and in. And the angel looked at God and says, God, why'd you do that? He said, who's he going to tell? <laughs> I like other people's jokes. <laughs> so... Yeah. Someone told me, she said, you should write those down. I said, they're not mine. I got them from somebody else, you know. <laughs> well, this morning we're uh, talking about life without end. And I, I, as I was um, reading over these, these texts, I, I, I thought of um, our understanding of the, the coming of Jesus Christ. The, we call it the second coming. We call it the trump, the, the, when the trump of God shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise and to meet God in the air. Well, that's the text that we have today in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 56 and 57. And Paul is addressing the church at Corinth about this, this matter of the, the resurrection. The, the people at Corinth had, um, as is most of the people at that time, assumed that Jesus was going to, he's, he's running up to heaven, he's going to get things ready, he's going to come right back and get us, you know. And so people had died since Jesus had ascended into heaven and he didn't come back yet. And so people were asking Paul, well, did these people miss the resurrection? Did he, where, where are these people at? And uh, so we find in uh, this, this letter that we have here from Paul about, the, uh, about what happens whenever life after death, and I have it, life without end. And I, I, a few weeks ago I made this statement, I don't know where it was at, but the idea was that God does not have the power to snuff out life. You know, God, excuse me, the devil does not have power to snuff out life. Sorry, I wanted to correct that. The devil doesn't have power to snuff out life. That when God, in God's life that he gives to us is like a candle, it's lit, and that candle will never burn out. And nothing can, woof, you know, blow it out, nothing can quench it, nothing can take it, nothing can stop the candle from, from uh, burning. So, Whenever we have life in Christ, that life, that light, is something that goes on to heaven and never is extinguished. So life without end is a life that God has begun in us. It will never come to a conclusion. So when Paul begins this letter, I like how he starts. He says, but let me tell you something wonderful. <laughs> now, what if he just kind of stopped there for a minute? If he were doing a presentation, <laughs> let me tell you something wonderful. Okay, your curiosity be up. Okay, what's wonderful? What's the preacher going to talk about now? That's so wonderful. <laughs> yes, what's wonderful? Well, let me tell you something wonderful. Did you ever have a secret you wanted everybody to know? <laughs> Did you ever have a secret you wanted everybody to know? Well, you know, you got something going and you got something started and, you, you know, you want to tell everybody, but you just don't know how to do it, you know? One of the uh, priests in town 
years ago he used to say, and I'm not going to use the person's name. Uh, he said, there's telephone, telegraph, and tell this person, you know. And that was the way, just let the whole, if you wanted the whole town to know, just tell this person and she could get it going. And she could tell everybody. So if it was information or misinformation, this person could convey it. But Paul says, I want to tell you something very wonderful, and I want to tell you this that is a mystery. Now, our, our um, television sequences and mystery novels and things, uh, we like how that they, people like how that they, you know, do the characters and twists and so on. Well, a mystery in the Bible is, is, not, is, not, is something that is hidden but is to be revealed. So anytime there's a mystery in the scriptures, it's about something that is going to be revealed. You can't see it yet, but it's going to happen. So a mystery, it's just like hope. The word hope in the scripture is that I am hoping, and it doesn't mean a wishful thinking. It is a, a time in the future that this is going to happen. We just haven't got, here, got there yet. So the return of Jesus Christ is the blessed hope. Well, Jesus is returning, and we just haven't got there yet, okay? So it is a definite period of time. So it doesn't have the same connotation or meaning that we have, well, I hope uh, I win the lottery, or I hope I, you know, that's like <laughs> hope. It's, you have a better chance of getting struck with lightning seven times before you win the lottery, you know? It's just one of those things, you know? It's like, I hope I get struck with lightning seven times, then I'll win the lottery. No, <laughs> But, um, so it is a mystery Paul's talking about. Now, and then Paul gives us this, this other slant. He says, I'll probably never fully understand the mystery. So here we are talking about, in this case, he's going to talk about um, the coming of Jesus. He's going to talk about how that the dead in Christ will rise, that the body will take on a a mortal will take on immortality. Paul says, I'm not quite fully understanding this because we're never really going to understand it until it happens. You know, we're never really going to know what this is like until it happens, but I want you to have this knowledge and I want you to have this understanding in your spirit and understanding about what's going to happen. I'll probably, Paul says, I'll probably not really understand this, but I know what it is that happens. You know, um, Rhonda's uh, cousin, no, niece, her niece's son got his PhD in, um, what is it, dear? Dust. Like plasma. plasma dust. Yeah, okay. All right. He got, a, he got his PhD in plasma dust. I didn't even know. I don't know what plasma is, but I didn't even know it made a dust. I don't know. You know. It's dust is what you sweep around. Well, there is, he, you know, he had some pictures in his, uh, in, in, we saw his thesis that he wrote, and he had some pictures in there of this, this shade of something that was in, the, in there representing the plasma dust. Well, anyhow, he's over in Europe somewhere studying, because there's nowhere in the United States even does this stuff, except with, you know, very few companies or corporations. So it's one of those things, I have no idea <laughs> what it is. It is a mystery, but you know, to some, it's a very real thing. And the workings of this plasma dust and how to harness it and control it and all those types of things is probably similar to the nuclear fusion of years ago. 
But I'll never, Paul says, I'll probably never fully understand this, but he says, this is where it is. We're all going to die. <laughs> we all, we're all going to die. You know, that sounds like a wonderful sermon. We're all going to die. <laughs> How many are going to sign up today? Yeah. No. Well, we're all going to die. We need to know about our belief in what happens in death and what happens in the resurrection. You see, <laughs> knowledge, this is, this is a quote from my book, if you would care to buy my book, okay. <laughs> uh, the anchor, one of the first, I didn't even think of it, but different people had highlighted and told me, this is a wonderful quote, wonderful quote. Uh, I didn't even think of it that way. An anchor holds a ship, but it doesn't calm the storm or the sea. So in our life, we have an anchor, and the anchor is our faith. We know that Jesus Christ is a solid rock, the foundation upon, our, upon which we stand. So the rock, the foundation on which we stand, does not stop the storms from coming. Okay? The, you know, the wise man built his house upon the rock, foolish man on the sand. I know I sang that last week. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, the same storm came to both houses. The one on the sand collapsed. Well, in our, in our understanding of our faith, there is an anchor to our faith, and it's an understanding of faith, but yet it doesn't take away the anxieties or the, you know, the worry of, well, we're all going to die, I don't want to die, you know, that kind of. Well, the idea is that we have a foundation, we have an anchor. Now, the people at Corinth were concerned about the very same thing. They were concerned about what happens whenever we die, what happens at death. Well, Paul says this, we're all going to be changed. We're not all, excuse me, we're all going to die, but he says we're not all, we're not all going to die. So, first of all, we're not all going to die. Okay. You heard about the, the, the guy who was visiting in Israel with the, he and his wife and mother-in-law? And his mother-in-law died, and the funeral director says, well, it cost about $15,000 to have her shipped back to the United States, or we can bury her here for, you know, a few hundred dollars and have her cremated and leave her ashes here. And, uh, and the uh, man said, well, it's my mother-in-law. And he said, uh, well, didn't there somebody raised from the dead here a couple thousand years ago? And he said, yeah, there's one. He said, well, I don't want to take the chance. Send her home. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not all going to die <laughs> but we are all going to be changed so this is where the the transition goes in here we're going to be changed there's life after life there's life without end and that when people die they transition from life to life death is something that stops the body the body stops functioning but the life doesn't end Everything that is life in us goes home to be with God. Everything that is life goes home to be with God. Now, the body doesn't function. It stops, you know, can, you know, look at the body and say, there it is. You know, one guy said, went to the, please forgive my funeral jokes. You know, I'll ask for it in advance. The, the person went to visit one of his friends who was in the, in the, uh, in the funeral home, at the, and they said, my, doesn't, doesn't he, she look good? And he says, yeah, he should. He just got out of the hospital. <laughs> I have a lot of dead jokes. 
<laughs> I don't know, maybe it's because I, I, never mind. But anyhow, so we are all going to be changed. See, the idea of what's going to happen tomorrow, people are afraid of the end. And so they live in fear and anxiety every day. My philosophy is, let's go to the end. Let's find out what's going to happen when it's all over. When, when the day comes and, you know, we're, not, we're no longer functioning our body. No, not functioning as in mentally ill. But as we're no longer functioning, our body functioning, when that day comes when which this body stops living, what happens? Well, let's make sure that place and time is safe. Okay? That place and time is safe because I ask Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins and live within my heart. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He says that. God says that. So if I go to the end of life and God says that I must believe in him and belief is a willingness to confess. Now it doesn't mean I confess, you know, the 500 theses and whatever. It means that I confess that Christ is my Savior, the forgiver of my sins. Okay? Our name is then written in his book of life. And when our name is in his book of life and we, end, we come to the end of life, guess what? We're going to heaven. That's what he tells us. That's what God tells us. And we find that the Corinthians were worried about this whole thing because they were all expecting Jesus. We saw, there was over 500 people saw him ascended. So there was this whole group of people that had witnessed Jesus going up and hearing Jesus saying he's going to return. And so he's going to return. So we're waiting around. You know, Christ is coming back and he didn't come yet and some people have died. What happens? Well, <laughs> Paul says we're all going to be changed. And what he says here is very important. He says, you hear a blast to, the, to end all blasts from a trumpet. You're going to hear the trumpet sound so loud that it's going to deafen any other sound that you've ever heard. <laughs> so, and in the time that you look up and blink your eyes, it's over. <laughs> And the King James says in, 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 in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. So the idea here is that when the trumpet sounds, and in the moments it takes for your brain to send a, a signal from your brain to your eye to get your eyelid to re respond, that's how quickly we're going to be changed. So do you all blink your eyes? <laughs> well, in that amount of time, <laughs> in that amount of time, we'll be gone. There's no, oh, hey, Jesus, did, come here, come here, I'm, I'm ready now. <laughs> no, we prepare our hearts, we prepare our hearts in our lives, and, and you see, most of the time, we think of, um, well, much of the time, people think of in, in a, a very condemning way. And, and we have in uh, Genesis, no, excuse me, Exodus chapter 20, we have the Ten Commandments. And most of us, we think in terms of the law. We think in terms of the law. He says, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. So God has established our going out and our coming in. That's in another portion of Scripture. God has established our going out and our coming in. That God knows where we're at, where we're going, and what we're doing, and he wants to accompany us. God wants to be here with us. And the, the challenge is that 
we need, to, we, we need to want to have him with us. See, God's presence with us is not restrictive. It's not like, you know, walk this way, and if you don't slap you on the back of the head, bad things are going to happen, and, you know, you know you're all going to go to hell. Just simple as that. You make a mistake, you're on. You know, you got one chance, and you blew it, so you're done. That's not God. That's human philosophy, human perspective of whatever. The reason that people don't want the Ten Commandments around, one of the reasons, is that if there are no Ten Commandments, if there are no divine laws, then we are not accountable. If we're not accountable, we can do what we please. We can do whatever we please, and it's all okay because there's no real criteria for the law. Now, you know, how many of us love to go the speed limit? Never break it by one mile per hour. <laughs> yeah, when we're in a hurry, God will understand. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but anyhow, that's the difference. We don't like to obey laws. We don't like to be told what to do. We don't be, like to be told that we should do something. I mean, how many love to be told? Receive wonderful instruction from a person closest to you. I don't think you should wear that today. <laughs> Are you really going to wear that? <laughs> don't you think you should comb your hair? <laughs> hey, how about this one? I think you should put a little makeup on today, dear. <laughs> Are you ever going to shave that beard off? You know? <laughs> I remember we uh, told it years ago when we first came here, and you know, I t said about how that uh, one lady, she said, I, I was, you know, dying to hear how people thought of my sermon, you know, and she greets me at the door and says, I'm sure glad you don't have a beard. I couldn't vote for a preacher who had a beard. <laughs> See, criteria. We all, we all put criteria in place. We, we judge people. We look at people. We make an assessment. We make a, an evaluation, and we should. I mean, there's some people we just need to be weary of because there's some really nasty, scary people out there. So the judgmental part is judgmental, being judgmental, is biting an apple, finding a half of a worm, okay? We know that that's an assessment, that the other half is in your mouth. That's an assessment, okay? A judgment is all apples have worms, so we'll never eat another apple the rest of our life because all apples have worms. See? That's judgmental. So whenever we look at life and making an assessment and looking at things, you know, but we have to be willing to know that we don't know everything about it. So anyhow, as we look at the, the commandments, we have these commandments written, and God has given them, that he's laid down the law, as it were, because if we didn't know what breaking the law was, we wouldn't know what good is. And the commandments are not about, um, what are they not about? They're not about destruction, and they are about protecting and providing for us. How can God protect you from destroying yourself? How can God protect you from hurting yourself and others? Then don't have any other gods besides me, because he, God, wants to love other people through you. Other gods, lesser gods, are going to make people serve you. <laughs> 
See? So God is giving us a picture of what good is. And we happen to have them in thou shalt nots. <laughs> you know? And the thou shalt nots, and you don't steal, you don't kill, you don't commit adultery, you don't bear false witness, you don't covet your neighbor's goods. No, and coveting is another one I, I like to explain. Coveting is... Um, Tricia just got a brand new Mercedes. Top of the line. <laughs> Top of the line, big bucks, everything, whatever. And you know what? I want one. Okay. Coveting is, I don't just want one like hers. I won't be happy until I have hers. See? Don't covet your neighbor's donkey. You mean, you won't be happy unless your donkey's your, your neighbor's donkey is yours. Okay? So coveting says, I don't, it isn't that I admire what you have, it's that I want what you have so you don't have it. So whenever we covet, God says don't covet because the reason here again is God is able to provide in your life everything that he can provide for other people. There is nothing that is beyond God's ability to touch and provide in your own life, and we should be thankful that they're able, Trisha's able to have a Mercedes, a big expensive one, and live on a hill and have a big house and have servants and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but you see, it, would we be thankful and grateful for them? Or would we be, well, you know, I don't know how they got it. <laughs> but you see, living with God's greatness and living with God's understanding of what life is, life is about living for God, and God is going to and is blessing us. And you see, if we are not thankful for what we have, how can we ever have more? So the Bible says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So if we are thankful for the cup of water, maybe I can have two. If I need to, I can get it. But if I'm, I'm grudging, begrudging the idea, I only got a cup, and it's half empty. <laughs> but see, God wants to bless us, and we find that life is more about living for God than it is about fear of dying. So we find ourselves in this place that we are waiting for Christ to return. Now, we either know we're, we're going to get to heaven, all right, we're, get, we're going to heaven. Heaven is our home. Why? Because our sins are forgiven. We're either going to get to heaven by this body stopping functioning, my heart stopping or whatever, and when that stops, I go to heaven, or the trump of God is going to sound and the dead in Christ shall rise and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air. So there is going to be this trumpeting sound at the signal of God, and he says, on a signal, this is what the Message Bible says, on signal from the trumpet from heaven, the dead will be up, out of the graves, beyond the reach of death. <laughs> when that trumpet sounds, now, what happens? When we die, our, everything that's life of us goes to heaven. When the trumpet sounds, the body is going to be resurrected, and the body and the soul, the life, is going to be together. Going to come back. This body is going to be resurrected. Now, why is that so important? It's important because in the garden, God created us to live forever. Okay? We were supposed to live forever. In the garden, there was a tree 
of life. If you eat of this tree, you will live forever. But there was also the tree of the knowledge of good or evil, and God says, don't eat of this tree. And when they broke God's command, they died spiritually, they died physically. Hmm. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, his blood was shed for our sins, that our sins would be forgiven and washed away, totally removed from us, never to be remembered against us again. And when Jesus rose from the dead, first fruits of them that slept, first fruits of those who died. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, he will quicken your mortal bodies that we too will have life, just like the resurrected body of Jesus. So what, we, what mankind lost in the garden, we regained at Christ. We regained with Jesus. Because when Jesus was in the grave, he descended into hell and he, st- and he took back the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Satan doesn't own this anymore. Death has no more reign over us. We have no more fear of separation from God, hell. We have no fear of the grave because that's not our home. <laughs> our body can go there and decay and whatever, but that's, it's going to be brought back to life. The body and the soul will be reunited. So everything that is life goes to heaven. The body goes into the ground. And when the trump of God shall sound, the dead in Christ, the dead, will be raised. The body will come back from the dead. And the soul that is in heaven with God will be reunited with the body. And we will be like God intended it to be when he created mankind in the garden. What we lost in the garden, we regain with Christ. <laughs> the regaining the, in the garden, Adam and Eve, <laughs> Adam and Eve were... Um, Friends with God. God come down to cool of the day and they walk together as friend with friend. There's this preacher. <laughs> he went to visit this lady, went to visit this house, and there was a lady in there. He knew there was somebody in there and he knocked and he knocked and uh, nobody came, so he put on his, on his card uh, Revelation 3.20. Well, on Sunday, the uh, usher gave back to the pastor Revelation three, oh, no, uh, Genesis 3.10, I believe it is. I may have it wrong. But anyhow, Genesis 3.10. Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice, he open the door and come in with him. Well, Genesis 3.10 says, uh, I heard your voice and I was afraid. I was naked. <laughs> That's somebody else's joke. But anyhow, we find that in our life, you see, life has to be, life has to be lived. And life has to be enjoyed. Life and, and the joy of the Lord is our strength. It isn't the joy we find in a bar or something else. The joy that we have is that which resides in our heart. And no matter what happens in circumstances, we are safe. You see, so I know that no matter what happens to my body, if it's sick and dies, no matter what happens to it, I'm safe for an eternity. Because life in me cannot be extinguished. Pain, sorrow, trouble, sickness, death, nothing can snuff out life. Nothing. Christ put into us, breathed into us the breath of life, and we are eternal beings. And we are, you are going to live forever. 
in that very same person that you are. <laughs> so God didn't make a mistake in, in making you. He put you to be you right where you are at. And where you are at, God is coming into your life and bringing his word into your life and bringing alive to you all the giftings that he put inside of you. And life forces us, causes us to draw upon those giftings, to draw upon them and use them. On the signal from the trumpet from heaven, the dead will be up and out of the grave, never to die again. The body will never stop living. And at the same moment and in the same way, we will all be changed. So, if the trump of God sounds while we're standing here today, sitting here today, if the trumpet of God sounds, the dead will be raised and we will be changed. This mortal, well, I'll go on here. At the same moment and in the same way, we'll all be changed. In the resurrection scheme of things, this has to happen. This is how the resurrection happens. Now, Paul says, I don't quite know if I know all of this yet. We say here, um, I'll probably never fully understand this, but this is how it's going to be. This is how it happens. Everything, everything perishable taken off the shelves and replaced by the imperishable. Everything about us that would die, that would fade away to nothing, is switched and changed. It has now become imperishable. This mortal must, be put, must put on immortality. Then the saying will come true, death swallowed up by triumphant life. Who got the last word, O death? O death, who's afraid of you now? <laughs> it was sin that made death so frightening. And the law code guilt that gave sin its leverage. So as we looked at the Ten Commandments, it's breaking those commandments that the law says you are guilty and you are, you are doomed for punishment. But you see, it was, it was the sin that made death so frightening. And Jesus Christ has come and conquered death and replaced the law, fulfilled the law by giving us grace and mercy. So every failure in life of breaking the law, God is saying, don't worry about it. Grace and mercy. So it gives us direction in our life, but the sins that we have committed, we ask Christ for forgiveness, and everything that's ever been done that broke God's law is forgiven. 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 <laughs> Can you say that? I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. Do you know what? Saying that I'm forgiven means that if the trumpet sounded at this very moment, you would be changed and go on the way to heaven. <laughs> you would be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. It'll be over. And so life will be changed. Life, this mortal will put on immortality. Well, Paul says, I'll probably never fully understand this. So as we sit here today and we're listening to this, we go, I don't think I understand it. <laughs> Guess what? Paul, he wrote it, and he had the revelation. He still doesn't fully understand it, but this is the anchor that holds the ship in the midst of the storm and in the midst of life. You are blessed. You are highly favored. You are called by God to be here at this point, and if you're here at this point, God is blessing you. God has opportunities for you. God is changing us from the inside out. And I don't have to be this perfect saint. I have to be me 
asking forgiveness, trusting in the anchor, Jesus Christ. And no matter what happens in the sea, I'm still anchored to Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. The scripture also says in this last part of it, but now in a single victorious stroke of life, but now in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, death, are gone. The gift of our master Jesus Christ, he's the one who's taken it away. (laughs) Thank God. So in one stroke, In one stroke of life, sin, death, hell in the grave, sin, death, guilt, all of that, one stroke of life, Christ. Amen? Amen. Jesus, thank you that you are our sufficiency. God, you are the one who blesses us. God, you are the one who walks with us, forgives us. God encourages us and puts hope in our hearts and lives. We are grateful. And Lord, it is not you who reminds us of our sin. It is not you, O God, who says we are too bad or that we have, we've blown it too often. You never tell us that. He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. God, you see the inhumanity of humanity to others, and that is not your will. It is by your grace and your mercy you touch our lives, forgive us, put us on the road of life again and again and again. Thank you, Jesus for my forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for my hope of eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Amen? Amen. God bless you. You want to practice the resurrection? (laughs) Try the jump. Put on the trumpet. (laughs) Yeah.